Howdy folks, I'm Skip Ruddertail. It is Monday, April 25th, and this is episode 7A of the Bad Dog Book Club. We have a very special episode of the Bad Dog Book Club for you today, as this is a twofer, no pun intended. Uh, we have two stories, two short stories, so that's why I wanted to pair them up for you today. One is read by Toonces, and one is read by yours truly. Our first story is Vignette from the Highway by Locanthromancer. It's rated PG. Our second story is Chichester Gap by Cedric. It's rated adults only, so if you're not into that, stop listening after Vignette from the Highway concludes. Listen to the stories, and we'll be around next Monday to discuss them. Enjoy! Vignette from the Highway by Locanthromancer, as read by Skip Ruddertail. I pedaled along the path, my legs easily pushing me and my bike down the miles that stretched endlessly before me. I'd ridden along this same walk for thousands upon thousands of leagues, and each one presented views both new and unique. The land around it varied constantly, from stretches of sand dunes and tumbleweeds, to hills and mountains and valleys with amazing vistas, to lush forests filled with streams and rivers, to grasslands full of wheat and rye and wildflowers. My muscles may have occasionally succumbed to fatigue along the harder stretches, but I never got tired of it. It was my path to ride, and ride it I did. The path meandered, and the pavement was uneven and cracked in places, but it never strayed too close or too far from the highway. I'd seen traffic jams and times where it was near empty, but there was always something flying past, if only once every half minute, and usually without warning. There were no on-ramps or off-ramps on this side, and the guardrails were tall and difficult to climb over. You could see a long way in all directions, seemingly forever, all the way out to the horizon usually, though for some reason trying to see what lay over the highway was a fruitless endeavor. It lay shrouded in darkness, like smog. It gave you a headache if you stared at it for too long, so I never did. It was rare to see animals along the sidewalk, though there were plenty of people, most of which were children. They never seemed to know where they'd come from or how they got there. However, I enjoyed talking to them whenever I'd stop for a meal, for the night, or to pick up a passenger or two. Everyone but me seemed to be on foot. I'd never met anyone else with a bicycle or other form of transport. Not everyone wanted a ride, but those that did were grateful to get one. Matthew hung on to me currently, one hand grasping the shoulder of my jacket on each side, straddling the back wheel, his feet balanced on the bike frame to keep from falling off. The lanky young pup's mousy blonde fur rippled in the breeze, his bright green eyes open wide in anticipation for what lay beyond the next rise. He'd been with me for several days so far, and he seemed just as fascinated with the landscape as me. It was nice to just have someone to talk to, though I enjoyed the quiet stretches, too. So what do you think is on the other side of the highway, Hugo? That was Matt, all right. Always probing, always asking questions, always curious. Most of the time, I didn't know the answer, but that was okay. I always learned something from the questions, even if it was a new way of looking at things. 
My black-tipped silver ears flick backward at the sound of his voice. I don't know. I've never been, and I've never met anyone from the other side. My tail, long and bushy like the other foxes I'd met, brushed against him as it wagged. Maybe there's a city over there, a big shining city made of silver and glass. They blow out all the smoke and dirt to the outside so everything stays clean and beautiful and all the parks stay fresh and green. That could explain the cloud, right? I agreed it would indeed, and I felt the boy clutch at me. It was a good hug, warm and snug. I knew that wherever he made his home, the people there would find a fuzzy ball of sunshine waiting for them every day, far brighter than the so-called sun lightening my sky. I had to admit to myself that I felt just a little twinge of jealousy. I pedaled my way between the highway and some steep granite cliffs. The strip of turf down here stretched a few hundred feet wide, and the lush green grass bobbed in the eternal late spring breeze. A number of trees grew here and there along a tiny stream, many of which looked to be fruit trees or various nuts. The day was bright and warm, though it was late enough in the afternoon that the rock face blocked the warmth of the light. My stomach complained, and I heard a matching rumble from the pup beside me. I coasted to a stop and nudged the pup to hop off. Come on, hop off. There's food and water here, and I think we'd both like a break. I also needed to refill my backpack. Food wasn't especially difficult to come by if you knew where to look, though you never knew some days. It was best to be prepared. He dismounted without complaint, and I dislodged the kickstand, setting my mountain bike just off the path on a flat piece of ground. Nobody would steal it, I knew, and if someone did, I'd get it back. Just one of those things that happened here. I removed my jacket and stretched out my back, letting the breeze flow around me and ruffle my fur. It felt good to be off the bicycle for the moment, though I knew I'd start craving the trail again before too long. It was my calling and my passion. Matt ran to the nearest tree, what looked like pear, and plucked two of the yellowish fruits from low-lying branches, which he immediately began chewing his way through. The pears were ripe enough that several fell to the dirt as I watched. Good. Fresh, ripe pears were some of my favorites. He tossed one of the fruits to me. I want to go over to the other side of the highway someday. Do you want to come with me? I had to shake my head. It was a question I'd been asked many, many times before, and the answer was always the same. Nah, I like it over on this side. I can't take my bike with me over the railings, and crossing is dangerous, what with the traffic. I'm content over here, really. We gathered food from several kinds of trees, two kinds of pears, three kinds of apples, peaches, and even some hazelnuts, which I rarely found. I cracked a bunch of the nuts with a rock, and we stuffed ourselves full as the air edged its way to the darkness of night. I wondered, as I always did, if real food tasted like this. You go, Matthew's voice drifted softly through the air, lonely, and I thought, more than a little sad. My ears perked up. Hmm? I miss my parents. Most of the other kids I've met don't remember their parents, but I do. It's fuzzy and hard to remember, but I can see their faces right there when I close my eyes. His eyes shined in the dusk, and he sniffled a little. They died when I was little, in a car crash. I don't even remember the funeral, but I remember how they smiled at me. They loved me so much, and I still love them. He scooted a little closer to me, I think, for the comfort of another person. I knew what to expect, how the conversation was going to go. Do you know what I think, Hugo? What do you think, Matthew? I think they're over on the other side of the highway. I think that if I go over there and look long enough, I'll find them, and we can be together again. It's been a very long time. I don't even know how long. It feels like forever, but here soon, 
I'm going over there, and I'm going to find them, I think. I think they'll have my baby sister there, too. I put my arm around him, and he just sat there for a moment until the tears started flowing. I've done this, too, far, far too many times to recall. I miss them so much, and they miss me, too. I just know. It's almost like I can feel them right over on the other side. I, I think this is where I'm supposed to cross. In the morning, then? He nodded. Yeah, in the morning, but I'm scared. I know. It's a big step, and like I said, crossing the highway is dangerous. I can help you over the guardrails and give you advice, but the rest is up to you. He hugged me tight, and I felt him crying quietly for a time as I held him. I nuzzled him with the black nose on the end of my narrow muzzle. You can stay over here, you know. There's nothing forcing you to go over there. Do you still want to do it? Yeah. Then let's bed down, and in the morning you can go. I started a small campfire on some open ground with my lighter, some dry leaves, and some sticks that I collected under the trees. He needed the comfort, so I kept my arm around him, and we sat in companionable silence until it got too dark to see the guardrails from where we were. The night was cold, so I wrapped my jacket around us both, and we curled up near the fire to sleep. I loved Matt. I really did. He was something special, but then I loved all the children that accompanied me along the trail, and it hurt to watch them leave. I knew they would be far happier following what their hearts told them to do than they would be staying with me, though. I always let them go, no matter how much it hurt. I watched my tears dry in his long fur after his breathing turned deep and even, and I finally fell asleep to the sounds of a crackling fire and the passing of cars up on the highway. Matthew didn't want to wake up this early, but I told him it would be safer for him if he could see the headlights of the cars as he ran across. Traffic wasn't nearly as heavy before sunrise, and he agreed, reluctantly, that it was a good idea. Now, when you hit the curb, and again when you hit the median, stop and look closely to see when the cars approach. Try to time it so that you can get through the lanes just after a car has passed, but before the next one can reach you, okay? Then run fast as you can, and be careful not to trip. I'll help you over the guardrail here, but I don't know what's over the other side, so I can't help you climb if there's one there, too. You'll have to do it on your own, but be quick. You don't want to get into an accident by taking too long. The cars won't slow down or stop for you, got it? He nodded vigorously. He looked between the guard railings at the whirring traffic with wide eyes, obviously nervous and scared, imagining what would happen if he was hit. You still want to do this? Yeah, he said, his voice breathy but definite. I want to see my family again, and if this is what I need to do, then I'll do it. You're a brave young man, Matthew. I'm not brave. I'm scared. That's what being brave is, Matt. It's doing things that need done, even though it makes us frightened. I knelt down, and the boy hugged me fiercely. I could feel tears landing in my fur. He cried, and it took all the willpower I had not to do the same. I'm going to miss you, Hugo. You helped me, and you've been a good friend. Are you sure you don't want to come with me? I'll miss you too, but I can't, Matthew. As much as I'd like to, I have a job to do over here, just like you have to cross the highway to get to your parents. Now you need to climb over that railing before it gets too light out. Remember everything I told you, and do your best, okay? He nodded against my chest and let go. We walked to the guardrail, and he took a deep breath. Here goes... 
I gave him a boost, and he grabbed hold of the top rail and climbed over. He stopped just above eye level with me and gave a watery smile. I love you, Hugo. I know I won't see you again, so I just wanted you to know. I reached through the bars and patted his shoulder, a single tear soaking into my cheek gruff. I know, Matt. I love you too, and I'm so proud of you. Now remember, watch for the traffic, and once you start running, don't look back. Promise? Promise. Now go. I watched with my heart in my throat as he dropped to the shoulder and followed my instructions to the letter. I swallowed nervously as he waited for a couple of cars to pass, then sprinted as fast as he could go over lane after lane. He was nearly clipped a couple of times, but it was always that way. He finally made it to the center, and I hoped, just for a moment, that he would look back, catch my eye, wave, do something. But he took my advice to heart and just watched for the next set of cars, took off running again into that wall of darkness. I watched a while after he crossed over, hoping fervently that the boy made it across. I hoped he could find his family, that he was happy. As I shuffled back to the trail, a part of me wanted to forget that I'd ever met him, with how much it hurt to leave him behind. The rest of me knew that our time together would be yet another fond memory, and that helped numb the pain a little. I gathered up my things, stuffed my backpack as full as I could with nuts and ripe fruit, refilled my canteen, and hopped on my mountain bike. The familiar feel of the sidewalk beneath the tires as I started pedaling comforted me, and I felt the pain of loss fade into joy. I knew Matthew would find his own happiness in his city of silver and glass as the sky exploded into brilliant colors of a new dawn. Thanks for joining us on the Bad Dog Book Club. This is Tunes' reading Chichester Gap by Cedric. Cedric was on his knees, his hands full. It never failed to impress him how many erotic titles a used bookstore could hold, especially this one where he loved to go hunting, and he really wanted to find something kinky and unusual to go read in a coffee shop later. Something strange and surreal would have done as well, but he was in a sexy mood and fancied titillating himself further. He was glad the long, loose raincoat hit his arousal when he was stood up. The erotic books were, of course, buried at the back of the store, which was itself a labyrinth of narrow, dimly lit aisles built in a peculiar L shape. Tucked away there, you could feel like the only person in the world amidst its musty air and endless texts with substitute lives to lead. For a short while, at least. Cedric didn't suppose any of those lives would be the lives of men in slickers being made to suck cock like whores, but he could dream. Whilst digging through the bottom shelf and feeling disappointed, though unsurprised, that there were no books dedicated to his particular fetish, he noticed someone coming and standing beside him. He paid no mind to it at first. Other people could use the bookstore as freely as him, after all. Part of him registered that whoever it was had come from the dead end of the aisle, but he told himself that must have somehow passed him previously whilst he was absorbed. He did also notice after a moment that the mystery newcomer had dirty black rubber boots on, but tried not to ogle them. Then when he finally gave in to that impulse, he realized he knew those boots. He was wearing them, in fact. Cedric stood up deliberately slowly, turning to face the newcomer who gave him a coy, suggestive look as he stood with hands on hips. Same slick yellow raincoat, same glasses, same face and gray scales. The only difference was the pencil tucked behind Cedric's ear. Oh, hello, the first Cedric said in a measured tone. Wasn't expecting you to turn up here. The new Cedric replied by planting his hands on the old one's cheeks and pulling him into a hungry French kiss. Cedric went wide-eyed at the surprise, and for a moment he allowed himself to melt into the kiss before his senses and his nerves kicked back in, and he pushed him away. 
Hello, too, the kissing dragon grinned. The other planted a hand on his forehead and sighed. Damn it, Arthur, he grumbled as he looked over his shoulder, lest anyone be watching from further down the aisle. Don't you ever stop gagging for it? To his shock and mild panic, Arthur had replied with a lewd grin and a hand grabbing his erection through his mac. When have you ever known me not to be gagging for it? Arthur smirked as his hand casually toyed with his prize through his alter ego's raincoat, hands taking in the familiar smoothness of the material and the shape of the prick he'd spent so much time playing with already. It made the pencilless dragon whimper a little, much to the other's delight. Cedric, we're in a bookshop, the non-author dragon hissed. Come on, you need to settle down. Well, do you know what cools us down when we're horny? Arthur, we are not... Cedric was rendered dumb in shock as Arthur just grinned and wriggled his embarrassed counterpox cock free of his slicker. Sure enough, he was stiff as a post, cheeks flaring with heat as he watched his alter ego trailing his fingertips all over it. Are you stoned? We'll get caught! Mmm, not stoned, no. The dragon doing the stroking replied, eyes on his work. But maybe tonight. You should join me, I have some really good kush. Do you know I've never smoked pot? The non-author version whimpered. Arthur chuckled and nodded. He was mostly flirting with his counterpart. In reality, he appreciated the practicality of having distinct stoner and non-stoner versions of himself. But it was so cute to make the non-stoner version feel nervous and tempted by the proposition, the way his excited cock twitched in his hand when he said it. Why can't I stand up to you? The straight-edged dragon groaned in defeat, eyes closed now. Somehow it seemed like having 200% of himself ought to make for better self-control, as if one might keep the other in line. But he was always the one that wanted to keep them in line, and he was utterly hopeless at it for some reason. "'Cause you're a submissive bitch with a small penis,' Arthur jeered. "'And you love the idea of wanking in a public space.'" Non-Arthur nodded silently. They were good reasons. Arthur looked over his shoulder into the still-empty aisle behind him, then leaned closer to the ashamed dragon. "'Just relax,' he whispered soothingly. "'Let me do the work, okay? No one can see your cocks out. They don't know I'm beating you off. Just lean in and kiss me.'" Non-author obeyed. He was utterly humiliated, utterly terrified of detection, and goddamn he was eager for it. He pressed his snout again to his lustful doppelganger, tongues meeting as Arthur began to pump his cock more aggressively. Christ, he needed this hand job, needed to come so hard all over the other Cedric, tail swaying, beginning to wish people were watching them, jerking off with them, enjoying this little piece of performance art. Yeah, good boy, Arthur growled softly. Come for me. Come for Sir. Non-Arthur cracked into a grin at that. Sirs are supposed to have bigger dicks than... Oh, God. He steadied himself with a hand on Arthur's shoulder as he came in spurts over the smirking, controlling authorial dragon's yellow rubber, his voice a muffled cry of pleasure from the free hand stuffed into his mouth. Good boy, Arthur whispered again with a kiss on the humbled and drained dragon's nose. Now, baby, you'd like something to fill that snout of yours? Non-Author looked up sharply, then quickly over his shoulder and back once more. Are you serious? he hissed. This is going to be a hell of a lot harder to hide than a wank, Cedric. Then we won't hide it, Arthur grinned. We'll just go for it as fast as we can, and if we get caught, we get caught. Deal? Without waiting for Non-Author's answer, he worked his own cock free of his slicker. Worst came to worst, he'd give the blowjob and jerk off into his counterpart's boots, but he knew he wouldn't have to worry about that. Like Pavlov's dogs... Non-author sighed nervously, looked behind himself again, and quickly sank to his knees. "'Talk dirty to me,' was his last mumbled words before accepting the stiff dragon meat into his snout. "'Anything you wish, cocksucker. 
The standing dragon smirked as he grabbed his counterpart by the horns and began pistoning into his snout, feeling his cock worked by the expert tongue. He wished he had the opportunity to draw it out, but even he appreciated that time was of the essence. Good boy, he growled. Suck it like the whore you are. You need a snout full of my cum. As he was snout-fucking non-author, the standing dragon's eyes darted between his playmate and the long, narrow space ahead of them. He picked up speed, sure he could hear people around the corner and beginning to get non-author's nerves. But he was right, but he was close. All that cock-stroking earlier had made sure he was good and aroused. And he bit his lip as he felt his own orgasm rising. More thrusting, more horn-pulling, non-author's hands massaging his arse, tail nearly damaging the bookshelves with its frantic pendulum motion. He closed his eyes and snarled through pursed lips as he burst, filling up the kneeling Cedric snout and letting it splash down onto his mac. Non-author was on his feet again just in time as guests arrived. He had his back to them, leaving him clueless about what they thought of two identical waterproof dragons loitering in the shop. If author had anything to say about the couples, he didn't tell his counterpart, the two of them instead quickly tucking away their pricks and bolting before the cats noticed they were covered in suspicious translucent fluids. Good boy, Arthur whispered again as he gave non-author a peck on the cheek. Whatever, we need to clean the fuck up, non-author replied with a grumble. I'm not walking past the till covered in jizz. Arthur nodded, pausing and casting his eyes around. He grinned and grabbed a tome from the shelf. Atlas shrugged. Even non-author grinned now as Arthur flipped the book open to John Galt's speech and used the pages to slyly mop up the spunk from his raincoat. He passed it to his older ego, who did likewise, and they stuffed the ruined book back on the shelf before darting out of the shop like giggling schoolboys, hand in hand to go find somewhere to have more fun. <laughs> <laughs>